Welcome to the Two Acre Homestead Podcast. We're your host, Lisa. And Kevin. And on today's episode, we're answering your questions that you've written into us. That's what's coming up on today's episode. Welcome to the Two Acre Homestead. Come along with us on our journey from a small, suburban homestead lifestyle to our new lifestyle homesteading in the rural countryside of Southern Arizona. We'll share with you our tips, tricks, successes, and failures from both our past suburban lifestyle to our new rural lifestyle, all, all on, on the, the Two Acre, Acre Homestead. homestead. Welcome back, my friend. It's good to have you in studio. Good to be here. Different having the cameras on too. Yes, it is a little bit different. So we have to say that um, having the cameras on gives a little bit more of a different dimension, I would say, to our podcast. Yep. And if you see me looking, I don't, I don't know which way, over here. I'm also looking at the audio levels and so on. So. He is our producer. Yes, this is true. So before we get started, we always like to talk a little bit about what's going on here on our homestead. What's going on in the barn? Because you are in charge of, you're the man with the plan with all the animals. So what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah, I probably should have checked when the last time... Before this week, I got hay, but anyway, it was, I don't know, a few months ago, but um, lost a little bit of hay at the end there. Didn't really secure it the way I should have, but I think a bale and a half or something, but not bad. This is the first time that's happened. So basically, I got some more hay and set that up better so it's better protected from the weather. Um, yeah, we had a little bit of some wind, wind damage wind damage and some rain and so on. And then having a male goat on that side where I keep the hay, male goats are destructive. Yeah, they are. So, you know, haven't gotten to maybe the more permanent structure that I wanted to, but you know, Hey, the law, the list is always long in the homestead. So, but anyway, it's secured better, um, better tarps to keep rain out. Cause we've, we've had some wind today some rain and we're supposed to get it at least tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I set up some feeders in that barn, actually both barns to do things like the alfalfa pellets. Cause they really like to eat those as a, yeah, they do. you know, they, they, it, they're kind of like us in the fact that, you know, you don't want to eat oatmeal every day. Right. <laughs> That'd be boring. If so, you're like me, you don't want to eat yeah, oatmeal you, any you day at all. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, you know, in addition to the hay, keeping that dry, um, they it's good to have, we, we put up the goat minerals, mm-hmm. and then I also have a feeder that has the alfalfa pellets that we use for the rabbits. They seem to really like that, too. Yeah. So, you know, took some time, past couple days or so, here and there to set that up, and I'm glad I did, just before it, it really got it windy and rainy, like I said. Yeah. Um, cleaning up the shop because when I built that second barn with my brother-in-law, it was a royal mess in there. I just kept throwing scrap wood and 
you know, there's a lot of sawdust in there. So just I can actually move in there. So that's a good thing. You guys are a little messy. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I mean, the barn was what, eight foot or I think it was eight foot by 16. So, you know, it had quite a bit of scrap. So yeah. anyway, so what's new in your neck of the woods? My neck of the woods, I have been participating in the Three Rivers Challenge. So just been really trying to stay on track, trying to make sure I have everything videoed, all of our meals. And I have to say it's been a little bit challenging. Last week was kind of challenging. Um, We had a really crazy, busy busy week last week, we'll put it that way. So we wound up having to go out of town um, to be with family. And if you're seeing this on video, then you know, the door behind me keeps mysteriously opening and closing. And that's because our one of our dogs keeps coming in and out. It's just part of every episode where you might hear a door creak. Yeah, we'll have to introduce you guys to Miss Coda. But anyway, I will say, um, you know, because of the, I think because of the Three Rivers Challenge, we've had additional subscribers to the YouTube and to the Insta. Mm -hmm. So that's been pretty, pretty cool to see. Yeah. So thank you for all the new listeners that have joined us on either platform. Yes. Um, We'll have links in the show notes too to our. Um, newsletter, you can sign up on Substack. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, our website, thetwoacrehomestead.com. So, welcome aboard. Yes, welcome indeed. And because of that, we wanted to take out time today to answer some questions that we've been getting on the various platforms that we're on right now. And um, I've got about four different, uh, three or four different questions. Um, that I wanted to save to answer just specifically for this particular podcast. So the first one comes from, and I can't remember, I didn't write down what platform these all came from. So this one is, um, I'm assuming this is going to be a YouTube. It's at Bree Saves, B-R-E-E Saves. And um, she says... Do you eat the fermented garlic straight or put it in foods? I always wondered how you are supposed to use fermented honey garlic. I'm new. So, Bree, welcome aboard. Thank you for, a- for asking that question. And I hope you don't mind us using your question for this particular episode. I think what Bree is referring to is what we use whenever we get sick or we start to get under the weather. Um, and that is fermented garlic. Um, I've been doing fermented garlic for years now, huh? Yep. Um, and it's a really super simple recipe to follow. Um, basically it goes like this. You take two cups of unfiltered water and you take about one cup of uh, peeled garlic cloves. Put that in the water um, and make sure that the the water is, I said unfiltered, didn't I? Um, 
basically you don't want chlorinated water. So whether your water is distilled um, or you've left it out and let the air kind of and the sunlight kind of um, take out the chlorine, that's really what you're looking to get rid of in your water. So if you're on well water, you probably don't have to worry about that. But um, I know we use filtered water and distilled water, especially when it comes to fermenting. So I do want to put that out there because if you if you use tap water, if you're hooked up to a city city water and you're using tap water, this is not going to work. So my fridge filter, that's good enough? No. No? Okay. No, because it's not going to be filtering out the chlorine. What about but- the bigger Berkey-style is that good enough? Berkey water filters, pure. I think there's one called Pure Life. I can't think of the other off brand, but those brands, they should filter out the chlorine. Um, and if you are unsure of your water, go ahead and just use distilled water. Just go to the store, get distilled water. Um, I know I keep at least about five gallons worth of distilled water at any given time. Um, and it's just, just for those purposes only, just for fermenting. But um, again, the recipe is two cups of water, one cup of peeled garlic, and then um, one tablespoon of, and it sounds like it's a lot and it is a lot, but it's one tablespoon of salt. Put that all together and um, let that sit on your countertop let it sit for about a good five to seven days. I think seven days is the perfect time. Um, and what you're going to see is you're going to see it get bubbly. Um, and it's going to start to develop a lot of bubbles. And when it's developing those bubbles, you know, it's fermenting at that point. You're, you're creating what's called, um, basically you're creating that lactose bacillus. Um, and that is the, good yeast that you want for good gut health. Um, And the reason why you want to do this with garlic is because garlic is it on the platform of YouTube. I can't really go into why Um, I can't explain to you why you want to ferment your garlic um, because it's going to violate some, policy. So I'm going to steer clear of that. But what I will tell you is go ahead and um, check out our website because I believe I'm going to be having an article that's going to be released on the website explaining why you want to ferment garlic and how we use it is in different ways. When we are feeling really under the weather, um, we have a specific regimen that we follow with specific type of things like echinacea, um, just specific things that we use. But if those things aren't working and we really need to just like punch something out, then what we do is we take the garlic. Sometimes we will just swallow it whole or we'll chop it up and put it in something that you're going to eat raw. So, um, A good example of that would be like, let's say you make a chicken sandwich um, or you've made chicken soup. Um, Usually you make that when you're sick. 
once it's off of the pot and it's kind of cooled down a little bit to where you can actually eat it, that's when you want to take your garlic and maybe chop it up just a little bit and then you can ingest it like that. And that serves as kind of like a little power boost for you. I've also given it to our children um, when they have, and our kids are next, never ill. I mean, they're, their little bodies are just strong as oxes. And, but when they do get under the weather in those rare occasions, what I like to do is I'll take the juice. I won't give them the actual garlic, but I'll give them the juice. Um, they don't like it. Nobody's going to like it, but I do give them the juice and they will take it as medicine um, and it really works. I mean, it, it really go check out the website because I'm going to go way more in depth, Brie, on, um, the website as far as explaining how it works, why it works, what it's good for, what things it's good for. Um, because it's not good for just any, you know, like if you just got the common cold, you don't want to waste your time on that. But if you've got something a little bit more infectious, there is a protocol that you can use with fermented garlic. And it's just, it, it's a, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't mind, uh, you know, sometimes the, the clove is a, a little bit, um, a little big, Yeah, but I'll chop it up. I think at least in half. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll chew a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's but, strong. You know, it <laughs> yeah. works. Yeah. So then we have another question. Um, and this one, this is from a girl. She wrote this in via email. Um, and she's, her name is Princess Negrana. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Princess Negrana. But she says, um, She's a new subscriber. She subscribes also to the newsletter. She's exploring homesteading. She watched some of the some of our videos um, in our podcast, and she said our podcast really caught the, her attention, and she loves the podcast, and she would like to for us to go a little bit deeper. Um, so she says because I don't own a home or even property, I'm working on how to have a supply of food. The vast way to preserve it, or the I think she meant to say the best way to preserve it, and how to store it in limited space. So, any tips, ideas, or how to start homesteading would be much appreciated. So, Princess, we actually have done. Um, we've actually answered this part of your question here as far as how to start homesteading. We've done several episodes, I believe, um, either season one or two, we did um, how to start ho homesteading fast and how to start homesteading inexpensively. Um, and we did those as two separate things. I do know on our website, um, this is something we don't talk about a whole lot, but um, I'm, again, going to direct you to our website because our website under, if you go up to the main menu and you select resources, there on that page, it has um, downloadables 
articles that we have written where it's like a step-by-step, almost like a how-to guides. Um, and I know we just recently updated uh, one of the, released a new guide on like how to start gardening. But we have Princess for You, we have two articles that will help you, and that is to how to start homesteading fast and how to start homesteading inexpensively. Those are two different downloadables and they, they're step-by-step guides, what you can do to get yourself on that track as quickly as possible. And then just to mention, if you're listening to our podcast on um, a mobile app, for example, like uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, I'll put a link to the sh- in the show notes to those episodes. Right. Thank you. And then she, she also asked that she said, I'm working on how to have a supply of food and the best way to preserve it and how to store it in a limited space. When I read this, this part, I couldn't help but think about our last house that we had. Um, that house was what, 12, 12, 1300 square feet. Um, the layout of that house was. We struggled because <laughs> it was one of those you come, you know, older, what was it built in the 70s? You come in, there were two tiny little closets. You mm-hmm. could hold a couple of things of toilet paper, a couple jackets. <gasps> and I threatened to destroy the, <laughs> open it up and make one large pantry, even though it was just basically going to be one long not that deep pantry. We decided not to, we just, we struggled. We think used another closet that was a bit bigger. It got us by. It did. And actually we went through COVID Mm -hmm. in that house. Um, throughout that, that entire time. And I mean, we, our kids were, I mean, our kids are still young, but I mean, we had two of our kids in that house and, um, you know, it, it wound up not fitting our family anymore, but those storing food, the food storage that I had, especially when COVID hit, I mean, I had our oldest was starting to walk and talk. Our youngest had just been born. Um, yeah, our youngest had just been born when all of this had happened. So, you know, our family was pretty young and I had a lot of food storage. Um, I had enough to get us through a good portion of lockdown. And I was just thinking about that too. Um, maybe two wire racks, four yeah. feet wide, maybe if you, depending on what you can fit and then get the taller ones, the six, I think they're six foot, you know, that that can you can store quite a bit there, but that's what, we, that's what got well, us. Well, yeah, and that's what got us by. And I mean, we had those we had those two closets that were in the front of our house. We had them filled to the brim with food. I had food stored in every nook and cranny of that house. Not to mention the fact that I also had gardens. Um, I had two big gardens. And that was actually the main driver of us moving was because we had just, we couldn't, there wasn't enough land to start feeding our growing family. And we needed, we needed more, 
more um, outdoor space. But inside the house, I had every nook and cranny of that house was filled with food. Um, So I had things stored up under beds. I had things stored on top of closet shelves. Um, I had things stored all throughout the kitchen. I mean, the kitchen, I hardly had any um, kitchen gadgets because everything was taken up with storage. Um, I utilized, I learned how in the, the hot, the living at that time, we were living in Tucson, Arizona. It gets to about 105, 107 during the summer. And I learned how to use your garage for food storage and then remove things out of your garage for food storage when it's really super hot like that. But to utilize your garage during the, um, the cooler months as like a secondary, uh, storage space. Um, and that's something that I practice even to this day. Um, even though where we live now here in Arizona, it doesn't get as hot, but, you know, when, when she had wrote here, the vast, uh, the best way to preserve it and how to store it in limited spaces, do not let your space limit you. Um, I mean, it's obviously going to limit you to some degree, but where there is a will, there is a way. Um, And as far as preserving your food, I don't know what your situation is, but um, there are so many different ways to preserve food. Right now, it's as of the recording of this, we are just getting into the month of February. I know February is a big thing um, here on YouTube uh, for fermenting. Fermenting is a fabulous way to preserve your food. There, um, I everybody has a freezer, just about everybody does. Learn how to freeze your food. Um, I use that frequently. Dehydrate. Um, dehydrating, oh my goodness. If you are new to food preserving, to preserving your food, learn how to dehydrate because dehydrating your food takes up less space. And if you're, you know, dealing with a confined space, getting a freeze dryer is not going to be an option for you likely. Um, I can't say that as a blanket statement for everybody, but I'm just saying likely it's not going to be an option for you. But dehydrators, they're not that big. They don't take up that much space and they shrink down your food so that you can store more food in a smaller compacted space. Learn how to dehydrate your food. Um, There's so much that you can do with a food dehydrator. Yeah. I mean, for a while there, our running joke was if you stood still too long, I'd dehydrate you. So, (laughs) but, um, and I was going to say too, you, you, the first one you had was that kind of cylinder one. Yep. You can have, I think it was up to eight trays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since then you've gotten the, um, what is that? I have the the Kasori. Mm -hmm. But you can start off with something like that. If you're doing, am I right? Doing, more of the vegetables type of thing. My pro tip to you, um, princess is, and to anybody who's listening to this, if you're going to get into dehydrating your food, which 
obviously I'm a cheerleader for that. Go ahead and do that. But when you're shopping around for a food dehydrator, make sure it has the temperature gauge. The very first time I started um, dehydrating food, my first food dehydrator did not have a temperature gauge. So it was either on or off, and that was it. There was no gauging of temperatures because you don't want the same amount of power or um, heat to be applied to your, let's say your herbs that you would maybe if you're going to try to make jerky. Mm-hmm. Um, you you need to be able to dial the temperatures and adjust it according to whatever it is that you're dehydrating. So, um, and there's also, there's other ways to learn how to dehydrate food. You don't have to have a food dehydrator. If you live in a dry climate like we do, or let's say you're in Colorado or, you know, any place that has a, a dry climate, you know, air drying your food is pretty much the same as dehydrating. Not all things, but things like herbs and leafy greens, you can just air dry those things as well. And that works as perfect means of food preservation. I don't want to get too into the weeds on, you know, specifics, but just dehydrating, learning how to dehydrate in general um, is a skill that I think every person who's looking to homestead should learn you should know how to dehydrate your food. Um, And uh, the other way to preserve your food is also through canning. Um, And canning can, I know people get very intimidated with canning, but, you know, once it's one of those things that once you learn the basics of it and you learn that I'm not going to blow up my house, um, I think you'll learn to like canning. I don't can as many things. I'm very selective now on what I can. Um, and that comes with experience, years of experience and time, but I still do a lot of pressure canning. And um, I find it just a wonderful and effective way of preserving food. So those are some of the things that I would say that you should you should try to learn. Okay, let's take, I think we have time for one more. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Amanda Sue, Home and Life. I think this one came from Instagram. But Amanda Sue, she says, "Um, just discovered your podcast, would really like to hear more about, (laughs) again, how to start homesteading on a budget with little in the suburbs, just finished listening to a financial storm is coming. Um. I think that was one of our more powerful episodes that we did about the financial storm. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts? Cause that was really your puppy, the financial storm episode. It, it's something that, you know, you, we continue to hear about in the news um, over the last year or so, right? There's, you see thumbnails of what's 2024 going to be like or 2025, but you know, here we are in 2024, we're in February uh, while we record this, it's on people's minds, right? On one hand, you hear, you see things that quote unquote indicate that things are good. Don't look over here because, you know, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. 
Actually, there's a cartoon, I think a little drawing. You may have seen this. It's a little dog. He's holding up a sign that says, everything's fine, and there's fire behind him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the state of things, right? So just recently, we were hearing reports that Walmart, um, what was it, their distribution centers, they're telling people, take the day off or end early because yeah. they don't have the stuff coming in. Some of the stores, we've seen it, like Walmart, the shelves are empty. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like, um, what is it? The shipping containers because of the war going on They're They've been rerouted around, you know, a different way. And basically in one day, what was it? The price of the containers, the shipping containers uh, tripled. And, um, you know, there's reports that that's slowing things down and so on. You may not hear it in the news. They may not want you to hear, you know, think that, every, you know, that things are bad. But that drives costs up and everything else. So, yeah, people are concerned. So that's why an episode like that, we talked about it. Um, we've done other episodes that are kind of similar in vain. But um, I think that's why those topics are are popular. What can I do even though, you know, I'm hearing, you know, if, even though if I don't have a acreage or something like that, I don't have a house, what can I do? Um, these things are important. So you can take steps doesn't require you have a 20 acre property or whatnot. You can do things on a small scale that can make a big impact. I think it's important too um, for people to realize that homesteaders, a a lot of times people will say, I want to learn how to homestead or I want to be a homesteader. And we always refer to, well, what is your why? Why do you want to do this? And if it's just because you see, the world is on fire. There's, you know, financial storm. We're here to tell you, you can start homesteading um, with, you know, not a whole lot of money. But at the end of the day, it would be a disservice to us to say that you can start, you can homestead with no money. Um, because the truth of the matter is you do need to have some money set aside for certain things especially when you start getting into animals. And she said she's in the suburbs, you know, so it's not like, you know, she's going to have goats and pigs. I don't know. I I have heard of people having pigs in the suburbs, but, um, you know, it's not like you're going to have goats and pigs um, or, you know, the bigger, the bigger animals is what I'm trying to say. But, you know, I think it's more important than the technical of, how I think the best thing for somebody like Amanda is to really get into the mentality of a homesteader. Homesteaders, we are different. We're a different breed of people um, in that we believe in, we, we are producers and not really consumers we will take a situation and we will look at something and say, well, how can I replicate that? How can I produce that here? Um, Rather than relying on someone to produce it for me. And when you start getting into that sort of mindset, um, and that's, that's really a homesteader's mindset. How can I produce this rather than me relying on somebody to give it to me, I can do it myself. 
then that opens up a whole different field of opportunity. For example, I know there's some people who feel like, oh, um, I, I know somebody really well, actually, who, you know, is like, hey, you know, you should get USDA, you know, government loans to buy buy land and, and property and so that you can homestead. That isn't really a home a homesteader's mindset. That's a farmer and a rancher's mindset, but that's not a homesteader's mindset. A homesteader is going to be like, I'm going to save up my money and buy my own land, and then I own it free and clear, and I don't have to go through and get a loan. That's going to be a homesteader's mindset. So the mindset is different. So when you start looking at the mentality of somebody who is a homesteader and you start taking that on, then you start figuring out ways how can I produce food on in suburbia while I'm here in suburbia? How can I take back my ability to produce food without all of these extra inputs? Then that's when you're going to see the need for money go down. Um, you'll try, you'll, you'll be willing to try to do things you know, maybe build things from scratch or um, build things from pellets or, or uh, what are pallets, pallets not pellets, <laughs> pallets. Um, you'll build things from pallets and, you know, do things that are a little bit more free and on the cheap, but they are yours and you didn't have to borrow from anybody to do those things. So that's what I would say, Amanda, is really research the thinking, the get your mind right as far as if homesteading is really what you want to pursue, you have to change. It starts with your brain. It starts with your thinking and it starts with your viewpoint on can, what can I do to reproduce this here? It's yeah. Getting into the why, why do you want to do it? Like for instance, if you want to raise a few chickens for meat, why? Because you want to control what they eat. You, it's better mm -hmm. meat, for example. Um, and start with things like if it's gardening, even in pots, right? Small. We've talked about mm -hmm. that before, too. Um, what do you eat a lot of? You know, I think we talked about this one episode, don't grow 27 heads of cauliflower if you don't eat a lot of cauliflower because we were trying to give it away. But, you know, mm -hmm. look at what you eat. Maybe pick the top three things, right? And grow that a sufficient amount. And then pres preserve some of it too, and uh, start start there. Start small, and then build on that. Exactly. Well, that was the list of questions that we had that we were going to answer for you guys today. So sounds good. And this has been different doing the video as well. So yes, um, just it's know a too that format. we tried. Yeah, we tried recently. Uh, putting the audio podcasts on YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we're on all the different things like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio and mm -hmm. any, you name it, we're on there. But um, 
you know, it, this is different. So we're, we're looking forward to putting this out there on the YouTube as well. So. Yes. And just note, we're not always going to do the video format for this. We're just kind of experimenting to see what this is, what this would be like. So not every episode is going to be videoed, but today was a special one and we wanted to see what it would look like. So Sounds we're taking good. you with us. All right. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, again, thank you, especially for all of our new subscribers and then ones that have been with us for a while. We appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're um, listening to the audio of this on your uh, podcast platform, be sure to look for the show notes, and uh, I'll put the links for some of the episodes that we mentioned and possibly ones that are related that might help you if you want to take a listen and uh, dig a little bit deeper on those. And, of course, we'll have links to our website and so on where we'll have the resources available that uh, Lisa mentioned. So from all of us here to all of you out there, happy homesteading and stay safe out there. Bye. (laughs) Really, Coda? (laughs)